The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this, the fourth day of June, 2023. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always right across the way. Happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you can be with us. Got a great show lined up for you tonight as always. Leading off, we will speak with the closer of the Washington Nationals, Kyle Finnegan. He will join us tonight. Also, uh, we were due to welcome in the Cy Young Award winner and World Series champ in 1987, former Met Frank Viola. But his team, the High Point Rockers in the Atlantic League, were rained out on Saturday. So they're playing a twin bill right now, so Frank became unavailable. So stepping in. Uh, for the second part of the show will be our friend Kurt Bavacqua, the hero of the 1984 World Series for the Padres. Kurt will be with us. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show tonight. We've got some great sports talk, some great people ahead, and some great memories to look back upon. As always, I'd like to talk to you about social media, if I may. Can I? Well, thank you so much. As always, before we begin, follow us on Facebook, WGBB Sports Talk New York is the name of that page. You'll find so much sports information, show information, and more. Stop by, give us a look, you can give us a like. Then you can follow us on LinkedIn, that value-added business tool that's out there on social media, and also on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. And you can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue WGBB. And all shows, if you happen to miss one, don't worry about it, because they're all out on the website the next day, and you can listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest He's the closer for the Washington Nationals. His roots go back to West Islip. And I'd like to say hello to everybody listening in West Islip tonight. And, of course, the Finnegans throughout the USA. Welcome to the show, Kyle Finnegan. Welcome, Kyle. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Great, to, great to talk to you tonight, Kyle. I, like to, I want to thank Willie for helping set this up. Now, as I said, we have folks in West Islip listening tonight. Just talk about your West Islip roots for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Got a got a ton of support out that way. Um, a lot of Finnegans out there. Um, you know, shout out to to my dad and and all my uncles uh, out there, aunts and uncles, cousins, everybody. They've been uh, nothing but supportive to me. And uh, yeah, my my dad and uh, also my mom grew up uh, in the Long Island area, so got a lot of roots out there. And especially playing in the Northeast now, I get to you know play a lot of games at at City Field and Yankee Stadium, so I get to see them a ton, and, and uh, they're super supportive, and, and it's been a fun ride so far. Nice. Now, I want to talk to you about, uh, we heard the news today about Steven Strasburg. Uh, bad nerve damage. I know what that is like. This guy may never pitch again. So much talent lost to this injury, Kyle. Uh, have you spoken to Steven, and, and uh, what is his outlook at this point? You know, um, I'm just, 
you know, my thoughts are with him, and, and it's been a, a tough situation. You know, any you know, players dealing with an injury, you know, you want you want to see them out there competing and doing what they love. Um, I mean, he's an ultimate competitor, World Series champion. Um, he's given given so much to the organization, and he's been such a huge piece of of the winning in Washington. So, um, you know, it's hard it's hard to not see him out there, but you know, I he's got all my respect and all my thoughts, and, and wishing him well in his recovery. A great ball player, Steven Strasburg. That that is so so true, Kyle. Now, growing up, who were your teams? Who were your your heroes when you were a kid, Kyle? So you know, my my parents being from New York, I grew up in a in a Yankee household. So, okay. Um, you know, Derek Jeter was my my idol growing up. Uh huh. You know, I used to have. I used to have some good hands when I was a kid playing, you know, playing shortstop. Me and my dad, you know, that was one of the things we loved to do was work on ground balls. Um, so Derek Jeter was my guy, um, was a huge Mickey Mantle fan, you know, all the, the legendary Yankee teams in the, in the sixties and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Yankee, Yankees through and through growing up, definitely. So how did you feel walking into that ballpark for the first time, Kyle? It was really cool. I mean, it's a, it's a, beautiful park and you know it's such a grand venue and and uh that was you know that was kind of one of those pinch me moments uh you know playing at yankee stadium is is something i always dreamed of doing and and to make it become a reality was was really awesome got to see a lot of family out there as well so it was a it was a great trip great opportunity sure now you came up through the Oakland A's system. They uh, drafted you in the sixth round in 2013. You spent some time in the Oakland system. And anybody on your way up, Kyle, that had a, a, a really profound impact on your career, a coach or a manager? Yeah, there were um, there were a lot of uh, helping hands in my development with the A's. Um, you know, the, the director of player development over there was Keith Lipman, and, and he was – he was a huge part in that. Uh, my pitching coordinators, um, Scott Emerson and, and Gil Patterson, who also spent a lot of time with the Yankees. Um, and then, you know, all my, my managers through the minors and my pitching coaches. Um, you know, you, you try and take a piece from each guy and, mm-hmm. and put it, put it in your, your toolbox, you know. So I had a lot of, a lot of different coaches because I had been there for so long so I was able to take a lot of different things from different guys and, and kind of mold that into into my game that I have now so you know a lot definitely a lot of people over there helped me along the way now you made your ma- major league debut uh in July of 2020 against the Yankees uh you pitched well in that outing uh in 2021, there was a game against the Braves. We'll talk about this. It was the fifth immaculate inning in Nationals history. You struck out Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, and William Contreras on nine pitches. What was going through your head out there that inning, Kyle? You know, I didn't. I, it's funny. I, I really didn't feel that great that day. Just you know, yeah. whatever mechanically. Just I was kind of working, just working through my my feels and, and, uh, just when you kind of days like that, when you don't feel that great, you really focus on just throwing strikes and not trying to do too much. And, and that's kind of what it was. I didn't really feel like my stuff was that great that day. Um, but you know, was able to get the first strikeout one, two, three, and then, um, the second one, one, two, three. And, and that's when I kind of, you know, it kind of hits you like, Oh, I got, you know, got something going here. <laughs> um, and the last three, the last three, like, I don't even remember it. 
kind of blacked out. Just I remember that last pitch. I couldn't even feel it come off my fingertips, um, and it just happened to to run back right over the plate and got the the strike three looking. And um, at the time, I didn't realize how you know how rare it was, um, but all you know all the following attention and, and the media stuff was was really cool. Um, it was definitely a special experience. Uh, I I remember when I was a kid, Kyle, that. Um Guys had, had done this. I've seen it happen before. But the, the term immaculate inning only really came into, uh, into vogue the last, uh, 10 years or so. But, uh, certainly, uh, a great, uh, performance and a, a, uh, a great achievement, uh, to take place there. Wonderful. Now, you, you recently signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. You avoided arbitration. So you're going to be, uh, with the Nationals at least uh, through this year. And uh, ho- hopefully, well, we gave some thought to you maybe coming the Mets way when uh, Diaz <laughs> went down w- with his knee injury. But uh, that didn't come to pass. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens. We're speaking with Kyle Finnegan tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now let's talk a little bit, Kyle, about your pre-game rituals that players go through. Uh, uh, before the game, are, are you out in the outfield shagging? Are you working inside? Or are you, you just relaxing? Give us a little insight. Yeah, so so a lot of it, I would say, is not so much as a of a ritual, but more of just a routine. I mean, we you know we play every day. You're doing the same thing every day, so right. it's more so just uh, the familiarity of of doing the same thing around the same time every day and and you kind of hone in on that routine and it gets you feeling good to go for the game so yeah we uh you know we we practice before the game almost every day so i'll go out and do my my stretching my running and my playing catch and then you know on days we hit bp i'll be out there shagging um then we come in come back inside usually have about an hour and a half before the game get something to eat and just kind of relax um you know think about Think about what you what you got to do that day, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if you if you have a workout, that would be the time to do that, or, or go see the training staff to get yourself ready to go for the game. But um, and then uh, about 20 minutes before the game, you know everybody kind of gets gets serious and gets locked in, and, and you head outside to to go win a game. What do you do to relax, Kyle, before a game? Uh, if you have an opportunity to to sit down, uh, have some alone time, what would you do in that particular period? Um, I like to, uh, you know, hang out in my locker, listen to some music or, mm-hmm. or just, you know, talk to my teammates and mess around and, and just kind of, kind of relax a little bit. And we got a, we got like a little, um, players lounge where we got, you know, a pool table and like some little basketball type games, just stuff to, to, to relax the mind and, and, uh, you know, take the edge off before the game. Stay loose. Right. Yeah. Good idea. Now in the pen before the game, What's what's usually taking place out there? What do you do to stay ready for uh, when they call on you? Um, you know that kind of goes into the routine thing. So you you know pregame, getting all your work in, so your body's ready to go. And then once the game starts, down in the pen, the first couple innings are, are pretty loose. You know that's when we we mess around and and uh, enjoy watching the game. And and then right around the fourth inning, guys will really start locking in and. If you need to do, you know, a stretching routine or a lot of guys throw the weighted baseballs now or, 
or band work, you know, stuff to get your, your shoulder loose and your, and your body loose and ready to go. And then you kind of anticipate that phone call that might be coming and, uh, hear your name called and then, and it's game time. Right. Then you're ready to go. Now, if you don't pitch that day, What's post game like? Do you, do you work with the trainer? Do you get some some extra work in if you don't pitch that day? Yeah, it's kind of a day by day thing. How your body's feeling? If you're feeling good, I like to keep it really light and just you know not not do much. Just kind of maintain uh, how I'm feeling. So I have a pretty pretty routine workout schedule that I'll do lifting weights and things like that. And if I'm feeling good, I don't. You know, I don't really see the trainers too much. Um, so after the game, um, if I, you know, if I pitched, I would go work out and get my get my shoulder worked on with the trainers. Or and if I didn't, you know, I would just kind of relax, have a good meal, and head home and get a good night of sleep. Good. Okay. Now, if you do pitch, as you did uh, Friday night, you, you got the win versus the, the uh, much despised Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, what do you do after that game, Kyle? Do, do you get iced down, or what? What happens? Yeah. Well, that was that's a good example there because I threw I threw two innings, right. threw a lot of pitches, so that was a really stressful outing. So after one like that, um, you know, I. Uh, Got a little shoulder massage, try to flush out any soreness. Uh, you know, we got the hot and cold tubs inside, so a lot of guys use that. <clears throat> There's a, you know, pretty much anything you need to help you recover. Uh, that's kind of the way the game's going. Recovery is, is priority number one to, to keep yourself available. So, you know, I saw the, saw the training staff, got some shoulder work done. Uh, got a, I got a workout in the following day. Um, and yeah, just, uh, the big thing is is recovering, so you're ready to go. Right now, how about uh, keeping loose with pranks and stuff? Who's the big prankster on the ball club? And uh, give give us an example of uh, some some really good one that some guy pulled off on somebody else. <laughs> oh man, we got a. Uh, I'll say in the in the pen, one of my good buddies is is Hunter Harvey. Um, you know, we like to we like to hang out and watch the game together and just. You know, mess around, keep it, keep it loose the first couple innings and, and also, uh, Patrick Corbin, uh, uh-huh. he's, he's one of my good buddies. He's, he's a funny guy. He's always doing stuff, you know, after, after a win, you know, a major league clubhouse after a win is, is, is a really fun place to be. So, you know, we got guys dancing around and, uh, you know, playing loud music. So that's, that's probably my favorite, my favorite thing I enjoy about, uh, the big leagues is after a win, uh, just enjoying it with your teammates in the clubhouse. Nothing beats winning, Kyle, that's for sure. We're speaking with Kyle Finnegan of the Washington Nationals tonight on Sports Talk New York. I want to talk to you, Kyle, now about the new rules that were implemented in Major League Baseball, uh, specifically any adjustments that you had to make to to your uh, routine for the implementation of the pitch clock. Yeah, so the, the pitch clock was a big change. Um and I was I was one of the pitchers that was on the slower end of that. So um I did a lot of work in spring training in the off season to kind of speed up my tempo um so that I didn't really have to think about it once you know, once the lights turned on and, and the season was underway. So um there's you know, there's been some growing pains with that for everybody, but um I feel like I've been a, been doing a good job of controlling my, my tempo and, and avoiding um, the violations on the pitch clock and you know a lot of guys have grown to like it I think you know the games are quicker and um, a lot of guys benefit from a from a faster tempo on the mound so 
Um, it's been good. I don't know if you you guys have discussed it at all down there, but uh, one guy that's having a real tough time with it up here is Max Scherzer. And uh, he's been given the umpire's grief uh, all over the place about the pitch clock. He can't seem to uh, get with the rhythm, and he, he's having trouble with that. And uh, he obviously is not adjusting to it, but... Um, I, I feel, and you, you could, uh, as much as you can, you can comment. I think the umpires are making, making it a little about themselves these days. Uh, between the replay, between the pitch clock. That's just the way I feel, Kyle. I don't know if you can comment on that, but. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, I would not want to be an umpire. Those guys have a lot, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to think about, so, um, that's a that's a tough job. Yeah, I understand. Not one that I would want to do. Right. <laughs> uh, now, now the changes in the infield shift has that uh, caused you to make any adjustments? Um, not not so much. I'm still you know trying to attack hitters the same way that that I would have. You know, you're you're able to, you know, not not the extreme shifts that we we were used to seeing, but right. we still move the infield around a little bit and and try and give us a better chance, but. No, I haven't really haven't really changed the way I'm attacking guys based off the shift this year. Just um, you know, trusting our scouting reports and, and going after guys. What hitters, Kyle, uh, kind of give you fits that that you really don't want to face, or is there any you know you, you don't really care? Um, I would say the ones that a sh- couple guys that come to mind that I've struggled with so far. Uh, Freddie Freeman is, oh, yeah. is unbelievable. Right. He's, it, it just feels like you got nothing for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, you know, he's going to have to get himself out because, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. So yeah. he's, he's a guy that's tough and I face him a lot. Um, he's a good battle. You know, I, I enjoy facing those guys because it's, you know, it's such a challenge. And, challenge, you know, you're, right. You're talking about a, you know, future Hall of Famer there. So those guys are fun to face, but Freddie, Freddie's tough. Uh, Bryce Harper's tough. Um, those those would be my one and two. Who do you consider uh, the biggest rival for you guys in in the National League East? Oh man, we uh, the Philly series are always fun. Yeah, we had a ton of fans uh, this these last three days, so that was a really good hard fought series. Um, and then it's you know the Mets are always always a tough opponent and a good fight. Um, you know, kind of the whole division is you know even when we play the the Marlins are. They're playing really good baseball and they're scrappy and it's always, you know, our, our, it always seems like our division games are, are really hard fought. Um, right. But if I had to pick, if I had to pick, uh, probably the Phillies of late. Yeah. Would be, would be our biggest. Don't like them, Kyle. Yeah, I understand. Now, <laughs> any guys, uh, that when you came up and you faced them or you saw them at the ballpark that you were kind of in awe of and give us a couple of names. Well, I would say, you know, getting getting used to the Nationals clubhouse when I first got called up. I mean, we had some big time big time names, uh, you know, Scherzer, Strasburg, Juan Soto. So it was kind of like a pinch me moment, like, you know, wow, these guys are my teammates, and and it was really fun to watch them work. Um, absolute professionals, all, all those guys, and um, yeah, that was that was the cool my first season just watching these these guys that I. That I watched for so long, um, coming up through the minors, like like Max and Strasburg, right? And, uh, 
Good names. You know, kind of realizing that wow, they're you know they're your they're your teammates now, which was pretty cool. Yes, definitely. How about on the road? What are some of your favorite ballparks that you like visiting that uh, you enjoy playing in? So I've really enjoyed um, kind of the historic ballparks. Wrigley and and Fenway were both really cool. Um, and then some of the newer ones, obviously Yankee Stadium is is awesome. City Field's awesome. Um, I, I really like the uh, the Braves setup is really great. Um, and any anywhere with a big crowd is is always fun. Yeah, that's pretty electric, Kyle. You're right. Kyle Finnegan is with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, we spoke about Friday night. You, you came back for another inning. You got the save against the Phillies. Uh, now, what, what does that mean when Davey Martinez has the confidence to let you finish a game like that? Yeah, it's great. You know, it kind of, you realize how far you've come. You know, I feel like I've, I, I'm still new in the league, but you look back and, you know, this is my fourth year with the, with the Nationals and to be able to earn some trust, uh, the manager to, you know, let you go back out there and, and, and try and feel that win is, is really cool. Um, I was, I was you know, really happy with that performance, kind of, you know, wanted to go back out there and, and face the top of the lineup and, and help us win the game and we we're fortunate to come on top. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to, to earn the trust. Um, and kind of look back and see how far you've come. Yeah, must be a great feeling, Kyle. That is for sure. Now, what do you think you want to do, Kyle, when uh, it's time to hang them up? What do you see yourself doing down the road? Oh, man. Um, I'll probably definitely spend a lot of time with my family. Um, mm. You know, this this uh, schedule and, and the baseball life is, is tough with, the, with wife and kids, so... My my wife Rachel has been been a a superhero through all this, so I'll definitely uh, be dad. Will be priority yeah. number one uh, when it's all over. Nice. Okay. Now I just want to get back to the umpiring. You mentioned the umpires have a thankless job. How do you feel about down the road the the institution of robo umpires? What do you think of that, Kyle? Yeah, that could that one could get pretty crazy. I think yeah. I think that one would have a pretty big effect on the game because you're looking, you know, with the with the pitching technology that there is now, you could guys could develop some pretty crazy pitches that that could you know clip the strike zone and and be unhittable. So I, I, I'm I don't see that one happening. It would it just seems like it it wouldn't be good for the game. But uh, you know that would be. That would be a tough one for for the hitters. I think it, I think it would benefit the pitchers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've survived the pitch clock. We've survived the pizza boxes uh, for bases out there. Something like that. I I don't know about it. And, and as a purist myself, kind of kind of ruins the idea for me. Yeah, we got we got a pretty pretty good game here, so. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the robo umps. Right. Don't screw with it anymore, Rob Manfred. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, uh, finally, Kyle, I want to ask you, uh, if you, you talk to your teammates and someone, someone were to ask them, what kind of a guy is Kyle Finnegan? Uh, what kind of competitor is he? What would you like to hear? Uh, that a teammate has said about you? Um, 
hopefully I'd say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a good teammate to have and that I'll, uh, you know, I'll put myself on the line and, and go out there and, and I think do, you know, doing your best and putting your, somebody that you can trust to give their best effort is, is really kind words from a teammate. So, um, you know, I hope they, that they would trust me to go out there and, and, you know, get the last three outs of the game or, or shut down a big situation. So, you know, having, having your defense trust you on the mound is a huge compliment. And, and beyond that, just, um, you know, being fun to hang out with and, and keeping it light, you know, it's a really tough game and, and you can kind of lose track of the fact that you're, you're playing a, a kid's game for a living. So I try to keep it light, keep it loose in the clubhouse and, and just enjoy it. Good answer, Kyle. Uh, well, we have a second. What's your warm up song? Uh, my warm-up song is Safari Song by Greta Van Fleet. Okay, and why kind did you, a, why did you choose that? Newer, uh, just just something that that gets me pumped up a little bit. You know, kind of a kind of a rock song type song. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's you want to play a song that sounds good coming through the stadium, and and you know the the rock songs for me have been the way to go. So just something that that fires me up a little bit as you're running in from the bullpen. Nice. Okay. Well, Kyle Finnegan, it has been a pleasure. I really thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend a couple of minutes with us up here on Long Island. Uh, I wish you and the Nets uh, the best of luck the rest of the way, except against the Mets. And uh, you take care. And uh, thanks to Willie again for setting this up. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. That is the great Kyle Finnegan, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will welcome back to Sports Talk New York, Kurt Bavacqua. Got some great stories. Stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. I really enjoyed that chat with Kyle Finnegan. Uh, what, what, a, what a nice guy. And uh, tough to get a hold of uh, current players uh, these days. A lot of red tape between uh, the media departments, and uh, they're just busy. They're just so busy, these guys. Tough to get a hold of, but uh, I really appreciate Kyle taking the time out to speak with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Yesterday, uh, the Mets held their Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I enjoyed it. Uh, very nice ceremony. Great speeches by Al Leiter, uh, Howard Johnson, as well as um, 
the legendary broadcasters, Gary Cohen and Howie Rose, along with uh, the great Jay Horowitz, who uh, I have to say really helps me out at times immeasurably, a, a really good man. To me, though, no one will ever top the uh, trio of Bob Murphy, Lindsey Nelson, and Ralph Kiner. But I come to realize that to this generation and a little, and a little bit prior, Gary and Howie are those guys. They are the cream of the crop of the broadcast heap. And i uh, got to realize that. Nice job by the Mets in keeping the alumni involved. One other thing I want to mention is... The firebuck show Walter screams coming from the fan base. Just ridiculous, people. Uh, with, with the play lately, the Mets, I completely understand, but it's not his fault that the players don't pitch or hit. So you firebuck show Walter. Who, who are you bringing in that's better? No names, uh, come to mind for me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll take Buck. Thank you. He has my vote of confidence. Tweet me at Bill B. Donahue, WGBB, with the name of your new manager. Let me know who it is. Who, who Miller Huggins? Who are you going to bring in that's going to do a better job? I, I just don't understand it, folks. Well, let's move on. Our next guest, an infielder from 71 to 85. He is notable for his performance during the 1984 World Series when he hit two homers and had a 412 batting average as the San Diego Padres designated hitter in that World Series. I'd like to welcome back to the show Kurt Bavacqua. Kurt, good evening. Hi, Bill. How are you? Doing wonderful, Kurt. It's great to have you back. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I guess you guys are here. Hearing the same rumblings in New York as we are out here on the West Coast with the way the Padres are playing baseball. Everybody wants to fire Bob Melvin. Uh, that, that's ridiculous, too. Who are you going to find better than Bob Melvin? I mean, that was a great hire, uh, a great manager. You lose a couple of games, and right away these guys are calling for the manager's head. I, I don't understand it. Well, it's uh, just people that don't know a lot about the game, that's all. It's been going on for uh, for infinity, though, uh, Kurt, that's for sure. The the, uh, the firing of the manager, and that, that's the first thing people think of. Well, I, I want to... Yeah, the only, thing different, the only thing different now is we can hear them. Right, yeah. Before, a... <laughs> before we never used to be able to hear all that noise, but now we can. <laughs> no, it's all over the place. You're exactly right. Now, I want to uh, tell the folks, you were originally drafted by the Mets. I was. I was. Uh, I was the number two choice uh, of the Mets, I, I believe, the second time I was drafted. I got drafted by the White Sox um, out of high school. And then my first year out of uh, uh, junior college, um, I got uh I was selected by the Mets, and uh, I, I believe it was the secondary phase of the draft. But I went to New York, and uh, I watched uh, I watched the Mets play, and they they hosted me. And I just decided I wanted to go back to the junior college that I had went to the year before because we had some unfinished business to attend to, and I wanted to be part of that. Right. Okay. Understood. Now, you were originally, you, you were immediately in, in the red system. You were 
let's say, we'll call it a utility play. You played uh, each infield position and the outfield while in the red system, right? Well, I did. I, I, mm-hmm. I actually uh, came up through the Reds organization as a second baseman until I got to double A. So I was, uh, I was primarily a second baseman up until my, uh, third year of pro ball because I played in Tampa my, the first half of the first year because I signed after our season was over and I went to the Florida State League for about a month and a half or two months after I signed. And then I went back there the following year. Uh, to the Florida State League in A ball. And then, but then my third year of professional baseball, I was, uh, I was elevated up to the double A level. And at that point, uh, the Reds thought that it might be a good idea if they made me a third baseman, uh, because they had aspirations of moving Tony Perez over the first mm-hmm. and, uh, and trading Lee May, which they eventually did. Right. So, uh, they, they put some weight on me. I, I, I went through some, uh, some dietary, uh, situations. I started lifting a little bit, not a lot. And, uh, and I put on about 10 or 15 pounds, uh, because I, you know, I, I could hit the ball out of the ballpark, uh, when given the opportunity, but they wanted to see a little bit more out of a third baseman. Right. And okay. I think, I think after that year, um, I started playing third and, um, after I got traded to Cleveland, being that I, I was a second baseman, I moved over to third. So they used me in two places. Plus they threw me in the outfield. Um, and I think that's where I got the, the tag of, uh, of a utility player, a guy that could play around. Right, yeah, the Indians moved you around a lot. Traded for outfielder Buddy Bradford. There's a great baseball card name, folks, Buddy Bradford. That's, that's a true story. Yeah, <laughs> we're speaking with Kirk Bavakwa tonight on the program. Now, you you moved over from the Indians to the uh, Royals, correct? I did. Yeah. I, I did, and I, I, I just went back to Kansas City for the first time since I left the American League. I got traded to San Diego in 79. So my last year going into Kansas City as a visiting player, uh, after playing there for uh, two seasons, 73 and 74, um, I, I just went back there for the first time Ooh. this past opening day. Yeah. They had me, uh, they had me and a couple of the other players come back and it was, uh, it was fun. It was nice. Not only seeing the guys, but also uh, being recognized by the fans. Yeah, they they have a good fan base out there in Kansas City. They really do. Yeah, they really do, and they're still playing at Coffin Stadium, and it's uh, it's a great new ownership uh, situation that they have out there, and uh, George is involved, um, Brett, and right. uh, they uh, a lot of the players are still involved in community activities. Former players are still involved in community activities out there, and it's uh, you know it's it's a uh, not only a fan fam- uh, friendly city, but it's also a, a family friendly city. Nice. And it's uh, it's a nice place. Yeah, 
And uh, as you say, Kaufman is probably one of the oldest parks in the league now behind uh, Fenway Park uh, and maybe the Big A uh, one of the oldest parks with, uh, the fountain still going out there and, uh, a pretty nice setup. It, it, it actually is. And, and that's really the reason we were there because it was the, the anniversary of, uh, them opening up the ballpark. Yeah. And, and this, uh, and I was, I was in uniform, uh, for that game, uh, in a Kansas City uniform. So it was, uh, it was fun doing that and taking part. So after that, Kurt, uh, I believe you started your first stint with the Pirates, traded for Nelson Bryles or uh, came with Nelson Bryles and Fernando Gonzalez. Yeah, I got traded uh, to Pittsburgh uh, along with Ed Kirkpatrick for uh, Nelly and uh, and Fernando Gonzalez. Uh-huh. And cash, I think. They threw cash in, I guess they thought we were worth more than those two guys i don't know what they do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah however they wheel and deal it yeah that, that, they threw some cash in the deal exactly the, then you go to milwaukee uh they have you as insurance for don money another great baseball name uh he, mm-hmm. he had some arm problems but uh you you backed up money yeah don was a good player he was uh he was one of those guys that you just threw in a lineup every day if you needed to, and, and he was going to do a pretty good job for you. One of the, one of those guys that falls under the radar. That, yeah. Uh, in social media nowadays, you see uh, uh, you see players like Don Money listed that was an underachiever right? because he uh, not really underachieved in getting stats for himself, but unrecognized, I should say. Right. Yes, I know what you mean exactly. Yeah, he was, he was a good player, and I played. I also played a little second base in Milwaukee and uh, played shortstop a couple of games. But Milwaukee and I, for whatever reason, just weren't a good fit. No. And uh, the best part about Milwaukee was I got to be teammates with Henry Air. Well, there were a couple other guys because I really enjoyed my teammate. But uh, being teammates with Hen- Henry Aaron was uh, was a special time. Yeah, he he was at the uh, coming to the end of the road with with Milwaukee, uh, coming back to Milwaukee from Atlanta. He started out in Milwaukee with the Milwaukee Braves, of course. What did you pick up from Henry Aaron, Kurt? I, you know what, Bill, I I think about it all the time, and mm-hmm. I I I sat and I watched the docu- uh, documentaries on Henry Aaron mm-hmm. after. Uh, I retired and we were both living in different parts of the United States and I look back at that time and it, I, I'm so upset with myself for not talking more with not only the ball player but also the man because I didn't realize the pain that he not only went through but was probably continuing to go through um, as a person. And it, it, it bothers me to this day. I mean, Henry's gone now, and um, there's really not too much that can be done about it. But, um, boy, if I had it all to do over again, 
um, I would have sat there and I would have picked his brain and talked to him about uh, what he had gone through coming up, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations that he had to face as a black player. Right. Coming up through baseball. And, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, skin color didn't mean anything to us as baseball players. Uh, or, or certainly it didn't mean anything to me. Uh, I think there was a time in baseball where it did. But I think during the time that I played, um, I mean, almost 20% of the players in the, in the big leagues were black mm-hmm. at that time, uh, in, in the mid-70s and, and into the early 80s. I mean, that, that, that percentage has significantly dropped lately. But, um, I mean, there was a big percentage of players that were black. And it, when, when I took the field, I didn't think to myself, uh, let's see, there's four black guys in the starting lineup today. <laughs> yeah, right. I never thought about that. I just didn't think about that. But now, I mean, you look, you look and you see things that are being posted on social media and things that are being talked about in the media, in the media where, um, you know, in 1971, the Pittsburgh Pirates feeling the first all black team. In right. every single yes. position. Um, you know, we, I never heard about that until recently. And it's not because I didn't care or my thought that it was cool if I would have heard about it. It's just something that it wasn't that right now. Wasn't it recognized because of ignorance? You know what, Bill? I don't know the answer to that either. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that the reason I didn't talk to Henry about what he went through was because of my ignorance. You know, I've certainly learned a lot more about uh, race and um, and black players coming into the game and all of that stuff with the media, the way it's covered nowadays, whereas we didn't get to see that. I mean, we had three major networks and a, and a couple of uh, cable channels back when I was when I was a kid and growing up and you know, we didn't get to see all that. The game of the week was the big deal for us. You know, we all gathered around the TV set on Saturday and, and waited for Joe Graziola and Ben Scully to come on and, or Tony Kubek and broadcast a, a game that they had selected. And we didn't care what game it was. We just wanted to watch a baseball game. Yeah, so that, that it, was, it was your, a great big opportunity when, to, to watch guys from out of town. It really was. It really was. My two teams growing up in Miami were the Dodgers and the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Baltimore was uh, spring training down in Miami, um, my my favorite teams, because I saw them on TV all the time, were uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers and then the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees. Yep. But it was fun stuff. I mean, as I look back on it, I... I so cherish um, different segments of my career. Um, I mean, I just saw somebody post, a, a former player, Jeff Cirillo, posted a picture of him and Bob Euchre at a golf tournament in Milwaukee. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the night that I went out in Baltimore with Henry and, uh, and Bob Euchre. We went out for dinner. And <laughs> what a night. It was, yeah. Uh, it was just a great night. I mean, you know, it was, and 
you know, that I look around as I'm, as I'm sitting there eating crab, saying to myself, you know, I'm with Hank Aaron. And Bob Euchre, no, it's not the way you look at it. It's just, you know, I'm out with the guys and we're having a good time and that's, that's the way it was. Uh, I think it's a little different now. Yeah. Yeah, things have changed, Kurt, that's for sure. Not only in the rules yep. either. Kurt Bavakwa with oh, us yeah, tonight sure. on Sports Talk New York. Now, uh, your return to the Padres in 82. We'll talk about this quickly and then we'll drop it. The Tommy Lasorda situation. As I tell people, go on YouTube, check out this rant by Tommy Lasorda about uh, <laughs> Kurt Bavakwa. And, Kurt, you made him famous, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's some there's parts of that story that people don't even know about. And uh, one of them is the rant that if, if you go on uh, to Google and you and you, uh, you Google Lasorda rants or Lasorda Bavacqua feud or anything like that, um, this particular video is going to come up because it's been viewed some crazy number of times and uh it was it was actually a video that was put together by an organization here in san diego when i was going to go and speak to them (laughs) these guys had put together one one of the guys was a computer genius i mean these guys are so good that i i'd be speaking without telling them what i'm going to say i'd be speaking at one of their events and the computer guy was so good. I was talking about how guys used to slide into second base. And the example I gave was how McCray sliding into, uh, I think it was Willie Randolph. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the playoffs to 1977. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, it's up on the screen. I mean, that, that quick. I swear to God, Bill, it was like yeah. five seconds. Yeah. That's how quick this guy was. So he, I, I guess him and a couple of the other members, they call themselves Scripps Ranch Old Pros. And there are a bunch of guys that give money for charity for local organizations, and they get together a bunch of guys for a whole number of years, and they've been doing it for a long time. They're the guys that put that video together, and they did it a long time ago. So that video, even though Lasorda said all of the things that he did, the video that you see was it was really put together by the Scripps Ranch Old Pros. Ah. And the other thing that people don't realize is that Tommy didn't come out with that rant until three weeks after the night that LeFay got hit in the head. Wow! And the reason okay. for that the reason for that was because uh, uh, Jay Johnstone and Jerry Royce who are two instigators and two pranksters would send this guy in that was, was doing the radio for the local flagship station in LA. And he was at every single game. So he would be one of the guys going in and getting sound bites for the radio and send it into him. They would send this guy into Lasorda's office every single day with something to say to him that would instigate him into possibly coming out with the rant that he finally did. Right. Oh, but man. It, it took it took three weeks <laughs> until he finally did it. <laughs> so that that was fun 
for a long time, but you know, I think Tommy took it more personally than I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He didn't yeah. like he didn't like me very much. <laughs> that that but, is right. is uh legendary though, Kurt. That uh not, o- not only that really is. Is, is like you say, you, you Google a sort of rant, you're going to come across uh, somebody asking him what he thought about Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman hit a bunch of home runs against the Dodgers one day, and Tommy mm-hmm. Tommy went off on that reporter. What What do you think? I think about Dave Kingman. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that one too. Yep. Well, oh. Tommy was a showman. Yeah. He was a, a a good ambassador for the game. He knew yes, he, was. he knew how to turn it on and off uh when when the uh, cameras were on. He he uh he knew when to push the buttons and uh, he did a great job at that. He did. He did. Well, let's let's move on from that, Kurt. Let's let's talk about the uh, 84 series. Talk about that for us right now. Well, we we just had, you know, I mean, going back to '82. I'll, let me, I'll start there real quick, and then I'll spring forward to '84. But Fine. you know, one of the reasons that that all took place was because we were really starting to play the Dodgers tight, and they, and they still had that team that was put together, uh, the 15 year infield and and all of that good stuff and a, a great pitching staff and, um, you know, Dusty Baker in the outfield and Rick Monday and, uh, you know, they, they just had a great team. And, you know, they're no different than they are now. People just wanted to go in and beat them. Right. You know, it was like when you play against the Reds in the early 70s. You wanted to go in and beat the big red machine. Well, it, you know, it became Dodger Blue and, uh, you know, I got tired of hearing about it, and, and so did everybody else on the team. And when we started playing the Dodgers tough and making our way up in this, into the standings in the National League West, and then it finally uh, it finally rang true in 1984 when we won the National League division and uh, and went on and played the Cubs in the, in the National League playoffs and pulled that crazy upset uh, and went on and played in the World Series against Detroit, who had a pretty good ball club that year by the way oh yeah yeah but it was it was a fun time um you know great memories to look back on i uh i just had dinner the other night uh here in san diego with milt wilcox Mm -hmm. who uh was a pitcher on that detroit team and and also uh, uh a teammate of mine uh and a minor league teammate of mine in the reds organization uh, when we first came up, so uh, you know it's it's great to go over uh, old times and and to see guys from from the past that you had an opportunity to be teammates with because there there's a bond there that uh, is never broken and it's it's always fun to to run across those guys. You played for for so many great managers, Kurt. Uh, Dick Williams is one that comes to mind. Uh, who would you say was the the best manager that you played for throughout your career? Well, you know the I, you know it's it's all in the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at uh, at Dick, 
as being the best manager that I ever played for you, probably, uh, because he was a guy that believed in me. Uh, he was a guy that would send me up with the game on the line almost for any player, uh, in the lineup, um, in, in pinch hitting situations. And, you know, I knew and he knew that if the game was on the line, he was going to get a quality at bat out of me. Uh, and, and I was the kind of guy that, uh, that came through in clutch situations and, um, was going to do something because I was smart enough, um, to not only watch the pitchers and realize and recognize who I was going in the face, but knowing that pitchers don't get beat on their second and third best pitches. Right. Uh, when you got a, when you got a guy in that, that you're facing and the game's on the line, they're always going to go to their comfort zone. And that comfort zone is their number one pitch. So if I'm facing Nolan Ryan in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning with men in scoring position, I I mean, going up there looking for a breaking ball is stupid. (laughs) Right. I mean, he's just not going to throw it to you. He's not going to lose. Nolan Ryan and those guys are not going to lose games on their second and third best pitch. Just, just didn't happen. Yeah. And I think that became an advantage of mine later on in my career. Um, you know, I was, I was very successful as a pitch hitter probably the last, uh, five, six years of my career. Uh, before that, it was kind of tough. I remember the first night I ever pinched hit in the big leagues. Memorial Stadium and I, and Alvin Dark sent me in to pinch hit against Jim Palmer. Wow. <laughs> and he said, don't swing in a ball. If it starts at your belt, because it's going to rise and it's a hard ball to hit. Well, three pitches later, I come back to the dugout swinging at three high fastballs. <laughs> and Alvin, I think he kind of just looked at me and shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I got an opportunity to play for Danny Murtaugh. I got an opportunity to play for Dale Crandall. I mentioned Alvin Dark. Uh, I played for Jack McKean in San Diego. Uh, I played for Billy Hunter um, out in Texas. And uh, right. and then I played for Chuck Tanner in uh, in Pittsburgh. A lot, and, of, a lot uh, of great names, Kurt. Really was. I mean, as, you know, as great as, uh, as Chuck was as a manager, he was, he was just not, uh, my kind of manager, or I wasn't his kind of player. However, you want to look at it, um, you know he uh, he's sending pops up the pinch hit in the eighth inning if pops is zero for twenty five against Steve Carlton, and if I'm sitting on the bench and I'm six for eighteen against him, he's not going to send me up there. No. Because the sports writers aren't going to second-guess him for sending Willie Stargell up there. Right. But they might second-guess him sending me up there. I, I mean, I specifically remember uh, hitting a triple off Steve Carlton one night in Pittsburgh. And uh, I, I don't even remember if it was a pinch-hitting scenario. Uh, but it was a game-winning hit. And uh, 
there came a situation later on in the season where I wasn't playing. Pops and I were on the bench, and Pops hated to hit off Carlton. He just was tough on him. Yeah. And sure enough, a situation came where he where he needed a pinch hitter later on in the season or later on in the game, and I'm I had a 500 batting average against Steve Carlin at the time. Was really successful with him, and uh, and he sent pops up. Wow. Yeah. And I knew then that I was never going to I was never going to do anything in Pittsburgh. So good thought. It, it was. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was best that I got got out of there and got back to San Diego. Good for you. Well, Kurt, we have to run here. It's it's been a pleasure again having you with us. We'll, we'll keep in touch with you. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back here in New York. We uh, we wish you all the best, and I will keep in touch with you, Kurt. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. And tell uh, Frank when you talk to him. Yes, that I'm just another guy that pinch it for him. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's Kurt Bavakwa, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Kyle Finnegan and Kurt Bavakwa, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. See you next on Sunday night, the 25th of June. Till then, be safe and be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.